Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, January the 30th, 2012, and uh, with the move, the whole month almost slipped by, almost slipped by, uh, without having a podcast to round out the month due to, well the hell that is the move. And we're going to talk about that today. I'm not going to sit on the, uh, the the mic today and complain to you guys about the move. I'm going to tell you what I learned about moving, specifically moving as a prepper, because some of you guys are going to go through this. And we did it a bit differently this time because we had to, but I got to tell you, I had about four or five days where I felt much more exposed to things that could go wrong than I've felt in a very long time time. I want you to think back. I want you to think back for me to when you first figured out that you needed to do something. You didn't know what, but you started to realize there were threats out there. And for most of us, it was one or two threats that did it. Maybe you actually figured out that the economy is on uh, life support and the life supports on backup systems. And you started to realize there's only so much time to get ready for whatever that was going to be. Or something else came to you and you realized, hey, look, I can't live this way anymore. And then you realized how unprepared you were. Now imagine feeling like that again, but knowing as much as you know now. That's what moving was like. Before I get into that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, ready-made resources. Hey, what more can you ask for from a company than for them to do what they say, say what they do, and have that be the name of the company? That's what ready-made resources does, all the resources you need for your prepping. Ready-made, ready to go. Point, click, and order. Lightning fast shipping to your place. And great service from people that really care about you. Again, check out ReadyMadeResources.com. And I do mean all the resources. I'm talking tactical check, practical check, food storage check, 12-volt appliance stuff to go with your solar or wind projects. Check. Gardening tools. Check. Check, check, check. Get it. They got it all. ReadyMadeResources.com. Next up, Sawtooth Tactical. Hey, you want to live that tactical lifestyle? Check out Sawtooth Tactical. Everything from the extremely manly just badass, awesome, giant titanium spork. And yes, I'm serious, the giant titanium spork. You'll look at it, you'll want one. They stay sold out often. You have to wait for them to come back in stock, but they have them. Magpul Magazines, if you can get your hands on them right now with everybody panicking over a potential assault weapons ban, uh, SOE Tactical Gear, and all kinds of other great tactical stuff you'll find at SawTac.com. Remember, the best way to visit Sawtooth Tactical, ready-made resources, and all of our sponsors, go to the survivalpodcast.com. And click on their banners in their right-hand margin. That's actually a place I can't go to yet. Uh, let me tell you, as we're in the uh, housekeeping segment here, a couple things. One, there might be a little bit of an echoey sound. That's because the uh, room that I'm using is an office in the new house. Uh, has hard floors. We're going to be getting carpet in soon. Uh, what I'm going to do once we have the boxes off the floors a little bit better, I'm going to bring in uh, the moving blanket pads that we bought for moving, and I'm going to cover the whole floor with them to help with the echo. But if that's if you're hearing that, that's why you're hearing a little bit of a reverb. Uh, but I'm trying to actually turn the mic gain down and get closer gate on the mic, so hopefully it'll go away. Um, but I haven't actually been to the survivalpodcast.com since uh, Saturday when I managed to get down to my son's house. My plan was to get down there like every other day um, with the move, with all the people coming to deliver stuff and all, and the ABF truck almost tearing the phone line down when they came in our entrance and some other stuff. Uh, it only happened. So I haven't actually been there. Right now, the um, the guy from Charter Cable's here. And he's installing awesome internet, and uh, from talking to the neighbors, it's really good, better than what I had uh, at the other place. So that means I'll be able to do a lot more uploading of video content for you guys. I got some great stuff we're going to be talking about today, because not only are we going to talk about uh, the move, we're going to talk about the new homestead, some things that I've learned on it already, and uh, some things that are really cool that I didn't realize when I when I bought the place, how cool they were. And then one thing that's not so cool we'll talk about as well. Um, also want to remind you, though, you can help support the show, and we could use some uh, new business right now. Moving is expensive by joining the Members Support Brigade if you have not already done so. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members or click on the Members Brigade banner. 
and uh, sign up. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, and, uh, and first responders uh, like uh, paramedics, either active duty or prior service. You can uh, email me before you join. Send an email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Put service discount in the subject line. Tell me who you are and what you're doing, or who you are and what you did if you're prior service, and I'll send you a special discount code to thank you for your service. Please do this before you join. Join the Member Support Brigade. What do you get? You get exclusive content that is available only to members, and you get discounts to over 35 vendors now. And if you're buying stuff in the preparedness, gardening, homesteading industry, let me tell you something. You're going to get your 50 bucks back uh, probably two or three times over a year. That's a membership that truly pays for itself. All right, with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. Um, so I got an email on that one Saturday that I got down to Matthews to actually check the uh, the, the, the mail or check email and, and, and do things, tech support and all. And I, I, Again, guys, I'm sorry. Any of you guys that have emailed me with anything remotely important in the past couple of days, it might be up to a week till I get it back to you. Um, if you haven't heard from me, it would be a good idea just to resend that email. Uh, again, Jack at the survivalpodcast.com is my email. There's no special hidden email, super secret email. That's my main email, and I will answer. But I got down there, and uh, I'm checking my email, and I get this email from a guy, and it said, you know, because I, I had mentioned that I was using a, a freight company to move our stuff, and he said, it, it must be feeling pretty vulnerable. Maybe you could do a show on what it's like. And I emailed him back real brief because I was going through like 800 emails and, you know, uh, about a half an hour trying to knock it out and just get out of there. And uh, I said, you must be reading my mind. I'll see what I can do. And that's really, I've, I've kind of explained to you the feeling already. So, you know, we brought a, as much stuff as we could in two pickup trucks. And, you know, you got to think about it this way. The place that we were staying at for the past year and a half, it was always our bug out location. Uh, it was for years before we, we were you know, pretty much residing there uh, every day. It was our bug out location. So we had it stocked before we moved there. Okay, so we had this, this, this plan that if things got too bad where we were and we were in suburbia, that we would go up there and that we could take a little bit of stuff with us and get by. So you can imagine how well stocked it was. So then we moved all of our stuff there. And we decided that then we would come, you know, here and this would be our bug in location. If there's going to be another bug out location, it's going to be a remote property, probably somewhere in the western Texas region uh, or maybe east Texas region, but somewhere that I can get to without going through the metro mess from where we are now. Uh, for those that want to know where we've moved to, we're not that far out of the DFW area. I'll tell you we're near Eagle Mountain Lake around Azel. That's as, that's as specific as I'm going to be about our new location. So we get to this new place. And we killed ourselves packing for like weeks to get everything as tightly packed as possible so it would all fit on this truck. And I'd say we got 95% of our stuff either on the truck or in our trucks. We made a run down here with two pickup trucks load of stuff. We went back. The plan was to make a second run, then go home and move. By the time we got to that point, we were so burned out. I'm like, I just, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. So what we decided to do was we, we for, for, you know, just didn't do that second run, loaded our stuff on the ABF truck, and there's enough stuff up there. I have to make one more run up there with a pickup truck, and, and I'll probably be good after that. And we're selling that place. Again, it's a wonderful place. Anybody that's interested in a place north of Hot Springs, send me an email, and I'll set you up with our agent to, to view it. It's, it's amazing for the price that we're asking. Anyway, so we, we, you know, we get down here. And we left there on a, a Friday morning, but the truck came to pick up the trailer that they dropped for you on Thursday. So from Thursday until Monday of this week, so from the 24th to the 28th, four days, four and a half days, the majority of our stuff, and it's not like we didn't have enough to get by for four days for Pete's sake, right? But the majority of our stuff, all of the work that we've done to be prepared to last you know, longer than most... Um, was in this truck that went to Little Rock, Arkansas, and then it went to Fort Worth, and then eventually it came here. And you're sitting there going, you know, I have all my good guns here, you know, but some of my less expensive, you know, beater guns wrapped up, and they are guns, and they're there. It's a lot of ammo, actually, I, I, I transported that way. Um, just because there's so much, right? So, uh, you know, you, my, my, my grill is there. So I don't have like a way to cook outside. All of my food, all of the logistical stuff, just everything is, is on this truck. And 
you know, when I really think about it now, actually, even just with a little bit of gear that we had here, we're probably prepared better than, you know, than I'd say 9.5 out of 10 people, even with, with all that stuff missing. But what happens is you start to think about it and you start to realize, you know what? All of this stuff that's made me feel so secure now is out of my control. And, and you might ask, well, you know, couldn't you foresee that? And I could foresee it. And you say, Mike, well, then why didn't you like rent a U-Haul? And it just, it just wasn't going to work this time. When we moved up there, I actually rented U-Haul trailers. And I did it several times, back and forth. I had all the time in the world to get it done. We, we, you know, it, it really was easy. We slowly migrated over time up there. And again, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about for bulk was already there, right? So it was easier and actually less stuff to, to get up there. Coming back, we had to bring it all because, again, we're selling the place. And when that stuff's out of your control, you start to feel a little less good about the situation. So would I have done it a little bit differently? I, I don't know. I can't. I can tell you I didn't like the feeling. I didn't like the feeling at all. But what I may have done differently is made two or three runs instead of one with peripheral gear down here. Um, you know, I did things like I, I took most of my really good uh, firearms and I took them to my son's house. And some of them are still there, so I have to still go get them. So Because uh, I didn't want them here while this place was empty and not being defended. So I, I may have just made more runs like that. But again, with the place empty and not having the security that we had in place up there with neighbors that were real, we already knew them, we were very comfortable with them, they're already looking out after us, we have security systems in place, et cetera. I, I was only comfortable bringing so much here. So I don't know if I would have done it differently, but I think I would have been more mentally prepared for it if I ever have to do it again. Now, will I be doing this again anytime soon? I don't think so. I really don't. Um, somebody commented on the blog, and I have to tell you, this is how I, I feel exactly the way this person uh, commented now. And that is that if they ever had to move again, whatever they can't give away or sell, they're going to set on fire. Uh, <laughs> after, after this move, um, I, I really don't ever want to move my permanent residence ever again. And I think I've found... Uh, a really amazing home, and it, I, I, my office, I have a view out into my back, my backyard, and there's a pasture that we have, about a one-acre pasture that's off to what would be my left as I look out the window, and I just watched my wife, Carrie, as I was talking just a second, uh, a water bucket, like a like a livestock watering bucket, about a one-gallon bucket with you know the flat sides on them so they can sit up against the wall. Uh, lugging that out to the dogs who are locked in that pasture for now so that the ABF guy can be here, so that the cable guy can be here. We've got a plumber coming in because of the way that the, the water line to the refrigerator was run. I just don't like it that way. I want to, I wanted that kind of fixed up and I don't have time to do it. So, um, we got people coming in and out today. So the dogs are locked up there. And I was, just, she walked past with that bucket. This is what I was thinking. Didn't, you know, probably within, once we get back from, uh, the New Hampshire Liberty Forum. We're going to get ducks and, and some chickens and some other livestock. And I'll be watching her do that to go out and take care of our animals, not our dogs, because they have free reign of the whole place normally, but, um, but to take care of livestock. And that's pretty cool. Um, it, it is a weird thing here going on for us guys. I think that, and those of you that followed the show from the very beginning in the middle of 2008 up till today, uh, you know that this was kind of a wild ride ending up here. It wasn't really planned. It wasn't like until the summer of last year, we were just going to make the, the, the bug out location our permanent residence, you know, our forever home. And uh, it just, you know, my wife had trouble with it. I wanted more usable land. When I selected that place, I was very much of a tactical mindset back then. It was before I really discovered permaculture and thought more about feeding myself from the land than just storing food up. So it wasn't really as perfect as what I'm, you know, looking for now. And uh, it just, you know, had to be that if I was going to have my wife be happy, and part of my duties as a husband is to make sure she's as happy as as I can account for. I can't make any human happy, but if there's something I can do uh, that's reasonable that improves her life, then it's it's my duty to do it. And getting her closer to family, you know, was one of those things. So now we're about 45 minutes away. She can go see them anytime she wants to. And, that, you know, she's going to make at least one trip a week down to, you know, look after her father and things like that. But what's interesting is we've been here since, I guess, Friday night. And this is Wednesday. 
It feels like we've been here forever. There's boxes everywhere. I mean, there's the, half the, the huge, I have a huge garage at this new place. Three bays, uh, three door bays plus another bay that doesn't have a, a, a garage door. And uh, that thing is just a catastrophe right now with boxes because we took a lot of the stuff that we're not sure where it goes yet and we just threw it out there. And she's unpacking boxes and as we empty boxes, we keep bringing them in. So, um, you know, it's, it's a disaster. There's, you know, this floor in this office of mine is like peel and stick. If you know what parquet wood is, it's like parquet wood, but it's peel and stick tile. It's hideous. It's ugly. So we painted my office over the weekend and uh, we didn't worry about the floor. So there's paint swatches on the floor or whatever, because we're going to put carpet in. So it doesn't really matter. It was made it easy to do, but it already feels like home. This feels like the place we were supposed to be the entire time. It's absolutely perfect for what we want to do. And I want to talk today about some of the things that we're going to want to do and how that's going to involve the audience. Um, the, the place actually has five bedrooms. One that's the master right now, and it's hideous. It's it, Let me tell you, this is a beautiful house that needs a lot of work to look as beautiful as it can be. It's like a uh, sculptors say that when they sculpt something out of marble or granite, that the statue was already in the granite and you had to just remove what was in the way. It's kind of what we got here. This house on the outside is fabulous looking. It is beautiful. Um, I'll see if I can post a picture of it today for you guys uh, with the show notes. And uh, it's just beautiful. The inside, not so much. Three of the, the four of the five bedrooms have this parquet peel and stick. It's not just crappy. It's not just cheap. It's ugly. And then the one bedroom that has carpet has green carpet. Makes you think of the 70s. Uh, so we're going to have some carpet in and stuff like that. Um, but man, it just feels like home. And it seems like this entire wild ride brought us here. So I just kind of clarify that because some of you guys may come here in the next couple of months and a lot of this stuff may not be done yet. And if you're looking for uh, Jack's palatial estate, it ain't going to be that. But it is five bedrooms. The master is in what used to be part of the old garage that was done into a conversion. And it needs a lot of love and a lot of work. And the layout kind of blows. And, and that's probably a two-year-from-now project. And we're just going to live with it the way that it is. But it's it's there. Then we've got four other bedrooms, which gives us two bedrooms downstairs, an office for me and an office for Dorothy, and two bedrooms upstairs, which can be guest rooms. And we're going to outfit those guest rooms so that when people come here for workshops and to learn things, maybe not everybody, but at least some of the guests, probably a first-come, first-serve, or maybe a little bit over the workshop price to pay for it, will be able to sleep upstairs. And we're thinking about doing one of them with, like, four bunk beds. So, yeah, it might be four guys that never met each other bunking together, but it probably beats a tent, especially in the Texas uh, sun. We've got this three-bay steel-frame garage. Uh, the cable guy's hooking a cable outlet up out there today. We're going to put in basically what's kind of going to look like a redneck bar with a pool table and video games. And we're doing that because we like that, but I'm also doing it for this reason. If I run a workshop, and I mean, I got the big Lawton shop that we're probably going to move to the fall. I'll talk about that more in a bit. But those of you that are on the waiting list for that, we're going to move to the fall. I'm also going to, you know, I've already met a lot of the neighbors, and uh, I can tell you, I, I think we really lucked out with the neighbors. I mean, um, they all seem to be people that garden, uh, outdoors type people, uh, ATVs, uh, things like that. The one guy across the street is a uh, contractor that does uh, basically like home remodeling. So we'll probably be using him for some of the work we need to do here. And uh, the guy on the other side of us is actually an older couple. And the son there is the guy that fixed the water softener here for the people before they sold it to us. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades handyman type, and he's already offered to help. Uh, we've had uh, a couple different neighbors just show up to say hello, which is always a good sign. I always try to go out and meet everybody uh, as quickly as I can, but right when you're moving in, it's hard to do. And when they come to you, that's that's something. Now, none of them showed up and started unloading boxes, um, but you can only ask for so much. And we were doing mostly unload on Monday and Tuesday when people are working. So um, it seems like good neighbors. But um, what I'm looking forward to here is running some workshops. And I'm thinking about doing this since we're going to move the lot and workshop to the fall. And I really think that's what we're going to have to do to make this work with the, the size and logistics of doing something like that. I'm thinking about running some smaller workshops here. Probably things that mostly people that are somewhat local to the North Texas area would want to come to. Something that are, you know, you're in a half day's drive or less. Weekenders like come in on a Friday, leave on a Sunday, something like that. 
And some of the ideas that we have initially are just things like teaching you guys how A-frame levels work and teaching you, have you guys lay out contours here on the property, explain what we're going to do and why we're going to do what we're going to do. Uh, and then maybe throw in some, some canning, both dry and typical canning workshops uh, with things like that. Uh, but as I was saying, uh, and I got interrupted, I had to go out there, so I'm sorry if I went off track here, but the guy came to do some work for us, and my wife didn't know what to tell him, so I, I had to leave the mic for a minute. But what I was going on about, and I just remembered now, was we're going to put kind of this kind of like a bar room, game room out in the main garage. And our thoughts behind that are that, you know, if someone shows up and they have a younger kid with them or a couple people with kids, the kids, if they get bored with what's going on, you know, then go off in there and play a game of pool or darts or something like that. And for those of you that are uh, non-drinkers, this, uh, this kind of redneck bar thing we're going to do, is going to have a, a kegerator with homebrew on it, but we'll always have like a keg of homebrew root beer or something like that on there as well uh, for kids and, and those that don't partake in alcoholic beverages. So we're going to really try to make this new place, not just our dream homestead, but a place that we can open to the audience, you know, and it won't be everybody or drop by when you feel like it, but, you know, we'll spread out a lot of small, you know, one, two day events, put you guys up, have you guys come out, keep the cost low enough to run a good workshop feed, you know, enough to feed you guys and, and provide the materials for the workshops. Uh, I have a really great, looks like a really great product that was uh, recommended by one of the folks on our Zello channel and it's a dry canner. And it basically looks like a little bit of a lower-end pressure canner with a vacuum pump. And uh, basically the way it works is you put your canned goods in typical canning jars, just like you would for, for heat canning. And you drop them in there, and you put your rings on them finger tight, and you back them off a little bit to allow some space. You fit them all into the, your deal. You seal the lid on it. You hook up your vacuum deal to it, and you turn it on, and it pumps all of the air out. So it's reverse of pressure in. It's, it's pulling the pressure out, creating a vacuum. And when you release it, that causes the jars to seal with a vac seal. Um, I've emailed the company. They're supposed to be shipping one of those to me this week. So we'll make that as part of the workshops we'll do. And I'd also like to hear more about what you guys would like for workshops from me. We want to do a lot with dehydrators. Um, we're probably going to put in, uh, and I'll get to this in a second why, but we're probably definitely going to do aquaponics um, or at least um, aquaculture on some level here. And I'm thinking aquaculture might be better than aquaponics because I can grow so much food here. I don't really need an aquaponics system, but I'd like to add to the meat uh, side of the equation. This is our problem, and uh, this is something I have a lot of experience with, and fortunately or unfortunately, because it tells me the situation that I'm in. We came here and we looked at this property, and the soil looks great, and the soil is great. There's some places where it was overgrazed with some goats these people had, but it's really great soil, easy to work, easy to dig in. And I took uh, Google Earth, and I looked, and I saw ponds all around the area. So that tells me I've got a good area of good subsoil. Putting ponds is not only possible, but being done, and everything seemed to be pretty good. So I talked to one of these new neighbors, and he said, well, over at my place, and this guy's like straight across the street. He says, there's places where it's, you know, six inches deep, and you hit rock. So I start looking around the property with a different eyeball. And I start seeing these lumps that I assumed when we did the initial walkthrough on the property were concrete. And they look just like concrete. And as soon as I see them, I go, oh, no. My wife goes, of course that's concrete. My son's going, that's concrete. I'm like, no, it's not concrete. What this stuff is, and it looks just like concrete, it's very common in different parts of North Texas, is its ocean bed. If you look at it close, instead of little pieces of gravel and stuff in this stuff that looks like concrete, it's shells, it's fossils. And when I used to do underground construction in the area, and I never saw much of it this far north, but down around the Benbrook area, etc., I found this stuff all over the place. And it's part of why Texas is so rich in oil and gas. Um, it, this used to be an ocean. The, almost the entire state of Texas 500 million years ago was covered under hundreds of feet of ocean water. And the sediment built up, and a lot of the stuff that they're pumping gas and oil out of today is old ocean bed. And in spite of what your teacher told you, oil does not come from dinosaurs. 
It comes mostly from vegetative matter, and most of it comes from zoa and, and, and phytoplankton. So your plant and animal plankton, huge blooms that would die and fall and build up layer after layer after layer of this organic matter and then be silted over would create, is what creates all these, you know, quote unquote fossil fuels. So what we've got here and From some spots that they did some digging, and I'm gonna have to get somebody out here with like a mini backhoe and dig some test holes to confirm this. Looks like in most places a foot to 18 inches till we hit this rock. Now this rock sucks, but it's not as bad as a lot of people would think. It comes out in chunks. It's not that hard to dig out with a backhoe and a backhoe bucket. The problem for pond construction is it absolutely then won't hold water. So that leaves you with, if you're gonna put significantly sized ponds in, a couple of choices. One is to use rubber liners. The other would be to use bentonite clay that you bring in. Another would be to try to sort out enough material to line your pond. And honestly, here that looks like it's going to be very, very difficult. So my initial thought was three or four sizable ponds, one-tenth to one-quarter acre, swells filling and backfilling out of them. What we might end up doing now is putting in more ponds, not less, but doing them somewhat deep on one side, somewhat shallow on the other, using the rock formation and lining them either with bentonite or rubber liners. And what I can do is put in a couple of the highest holding ponds while Lawton's here, have him map everything out and do the design, make that part of the workshop that he'll be doing here, And, uh, and go from there and basically learn how to do it under these circumstances as good as possible and then continue to lay that out. So the point with doing that is one, to try to keep the cost of the workshop to something reasonable to bring a guy like him in. Um, but it, it, you know, we have him come out here and lay out the entire design. And then do the mainframe earthworks, which you're probably going to even have to reduce the, the scale of the swaling now. In other words, have the same number of swales, the same contours, uh, maybe even more swales, but we're probably not going to be able to go a meter deep. You're going to go a meter deep and hit this, 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 uh, this caliche rock, basically. And, uh, so maybe we'll do swales that are, you know, a meter wide and half a meter deep, but it should be plenty with the amount of rainfall that we have here. The type of soil that we have here, this should actually work out really, really well. So some other things that we're going to have as projects, and you guys will see this in video that's coming soon, is there's about 10 huge gardens put in. They're done with cinder blocks and railroad ties. I don't like the way they look. They're not exactly laid out the way that I would have done them. Uh, but I'm going to be hard-pressed not to use them this year because I can just plant into them. So what I'll probably do is plant at least half of them this year and then start rehabbing the other half. And as I go into my next season, you know, kind of flip that with a caveat. I've got to get some contours laid out this, this weekend. I'm going, to have con I'm going to go get some more flags, and I'm going to lay contour lines out all over this property with my A-frame level. And I'm going to send pictures of that to Jeff and say, what are you going to want to do <laughs> under these new circumstances? Because if he's going to say, well, you know where that garden is, we're going to blow that up and it's going to move. Well, then obviously I want to start doing my rehabbing and relocation right away. And I can plant my spring summer crops in half of them and start to move them. I don't know that he's going to want to do that, but he may very well based on the way the land lays. So I've got like some, some stuff to like, you know, you don't want to go too far with, but yet, I know that we can put out a massive amount of production this year. And that opens up, we could do a lot of workshops in the summer with preserving food as well, straight off of the land. Uh, I, I'm going to definitely bring in quail. I'm really looking forward to our interview coming up this month. It's coming month in February with the gentleman that does the Bob White, or not the Bob White quail, he does the Japanese quail. And that's something we're going to implement also very, very quickly after our return from Liberty Forum in New Hampshire. So we'll be able to do workshops on the quail as well. So we'll be able to do a lot of different things here that will involve anybody. And when I say the small workshops, people that are local to the area, if you want to come here from Pennsylvania for a weekend, you're welcome to. And somebody that did that, we'd probably put you up a couple days early and a couple days after and just have you hang out with us. Um, so I'm not really saying that... You know, it's only open to locals. I'm just saying that I anticipate that most of the people that would come to a two or three day workshop are going to be people that don't have to travel that far. But you're welcome to um, travel further. And we'll do some bigger things. The nice thing already, though, guys, and this will probably let me expand the number and the headcount for the Lawton workshop. 
now that I'm meeting the neighbors, and this is where I said it was up in the air, but now that I'm meeting the neighbors, I've determined that these people are not going to be any kind of a problem with something like that. I'm thinking most of them would probably want to come hang out at least for parts of it and watch and see for themselves. And if that keeps them from calling code enforcement, also known as the Department of Making You Sad and Complaining, I will be very, very happy to expand the headcount to maybe 20, 24 people. That would let us do more. That would let us buy more materials. That would give us, you know, I don't want you guys to think if you come to the Lawton's Workshop, you're going to be spending the entire time working, but everybody's going to do a little bit of work. Because that's part of how you learn. And if there's 20, 24 people doing a little bit of work, then we get a lot done. A lot of tree planting, a lot of bush planting, and a lot of things like that. Let me give you kind of a description of the property and uh, some of the plans that I have for it, you know, that are kind of a little bit even independent of what Jeff wants to do. Um, the house is only back about 100 feet from a road. It's not a main road, but it's a busy, noisy road. It's a, it's a, it's a rural, it's a rural road that, that gets a lot of traffic. So there's some traffic noise out there. And uh, the whole thing is fenced. It's in two pieces. One piece is about two acres. That's the piece the house sits on. Then there's a one-acre pasture on the west side of the property. And then you got your, your south side of the property is where you have this road. The house faces that way, so it's perfect for solar gain. I could have set it up better myself as far as that goes. My plan is to step back off of that fence line, and it's a long fence line because, again, we're talking about a three-acre property and going not just this but the paddock as well and only where the gates are open, leave breaks, and plant what you call in the permaculture world a fedge. A fedge is a food hedge. So um, anything and everything that I can find that makes a good hedgerow that produces something edible, four feet apart, as many of them it takes, from one end of the property to the other, That there will produce a, a massive amount of food. It'll also produce a noise break, a wind break, and since it'll be a hedge, it'll only be high enough uh, that it'll let a lot of the light still come over it from the solar exposure even in the winter when you're this far south. So to me, that seems like an ideal solution to that noise. I'm probably going to do the same thing to a lesser degree on my east boundary where I've got a couple neighbors over there and a little bit on the south boundary. That starts to create kind of this hemmed-in effect, and it makes use of all this peripheral land that most people don't use. They go and they plant trees in the middle of their property, but there's nothing out there on the periphery. Um, there is a lot of work that's already been done with irrigation. It's not necessarily the way I've done it, but from seeing what they've done, it's already kind of opened my mind as to some ways to do it better but use some of their techniques. There's a couple legs that, uh, of irrigation that come off a main valve. I don't know where the second one goes. I can't find anything it turns on or off yet. I'm going to try to get in touch with the old homeowner just to see and say, what, what does this do, if anything? And uh, But the other one goes out to the main gardens, and it goes out to some gardens on the back side of the other back side of the property. And it runs to these gardens. And so I, I turned it on. I figured out how it all worked, and I, I, I switched the, the, the thing on, and nothing happens. Okay. Mm hmm. And then I look and there's these two legs and this little like leader hose, like a six foot leader hose. And then I, so I hook that up to this hose bib that's turned on by this main valve and I turn it on and I open up one leg and that's the one I said it doesn't do anything, nothing happened. I go turn valves everywhere, can't figure it out. I close it. I open up the other one and I look out at the garden. There's water shooting like eight feet in the air. <laughs> so I go out there and what it was, they had a hose bib on a three quarter inch pipe out there. So it was busted. So I lobbed it off and put a new hose bib with an adapter on it out there. And then that ties into this kind of complicated distribution system that has little sprinklers to all 10 of these beds. So I hooked that up and the sprinklers start working. There's a bypass, there's a, an on-off valve for every bed. So basically you can go by and water any bed just by turning the valve and turning the valve up at the main house. And you can water all of them. And I'm like, this is, I don't care if it's going to move eventually. For this year, this is awesome. But when, I fixed it, you know, quote unquote fixed it and put the leader hose out by the garden to the main distribution system that they built out there. And I'll do some video of all this stuff and turned it on. It kind of sort of worked, but not right. Well, there's another pipe out there. So I bought some more fittings and I just bought a whole bunch of three quarter fittings and three quarter pipe. So I'm slowly repairing this irrigation system. There's also another pipe uh, that goes off to the other direction where there's some irrigation out, out to the other side of the property that's busted in the ground. But the nice thing was when I fixed The, the, the pipe that was the, the hose bib and shut it and put pressure on the other side, uh, it's shooting up out of the ground. So I found it. So I've got some irrigation systems to repair, but I've got water all over the backside of the two-acre piece. I mean, water everywhere. So I can 
you know, even with just tying into a hose bin, running a couple hoses to get some trees started, I can irrigate 80% of this property the way that it is until we get some more permanent structures in to do it. So that was really a pleasant surprise. Then I'll go and I start checking out all the electrical systems. And lo and behold, there is a bypass switch for a generator already set up that runs the well, uh, that runs the, uh, the washer and dryer, that runs the kitchen and the outlets in the lower part of the house, which means if you wanted to run some extension cords instead of running them from your generator, you could just grab power inside the house. So power goes out right now. All I got to do is pull the generator out of the garage, plug in the, the interconnecting cable, fire it up, throw the bypass switches, and boom, house is back on. That was a bonus. That was a bonus. The reality was some of the things I missed, positive and negative in this property, were by the time we found it, if it worked at all, it worked. I mean, we, if you guys have been listening, you know, we've been looking since May. Since May, we've been looking. And I think we've got something really special now. Uh, another thing we've got here, we've got a lot of oak trees, pin oaks, or li no, the live oaks, most of them. And a lot of them look like they're either dead or dying from what's called oak wilt. Which I'm sad and happy about. One, if it's dead, that tree goes, and that's one tree I don't have to debate whether or not that tree stays or goes. The ones that have some spots on them that don't look so good, we'll prune them back to where they look okay. Um, we'll, uh, we'll aerate around the root systems, we'll throw some compost on there, and we'll let nature take its course. Um, it's a common problem in North Texas, oak wilt. Um, oaks are not the most productive trees, especially live oaks. So, and they're not very big. These aren't big majestic ones. These are things that look like giant mesquite trees is what they kind of look like in structure. Uh, again, I'll try to put a picture of the house up for you guys today. Maybe a couple pictures of some things. And once we get, like, I'll try to do even a little bit of video this weekend for you guys. Just maybe touring the property so you can see what we have to work with. Because I actually think that's part of what's going to make this look so impressive. Uh, when it's even partially none. Uh, then we learned some interesting things about the people that lived here, and it's starting to turn me on to why some of this stuff is already set up kind of prepper-ish, even though I wouldn't have necessarily called these people preppers. Apparently, they were some kind of a religious group. Um, uh, the neighbor said he thinks they were Mormons. They were not Mormons. I'm telling you, these people don't live the way. I know plenty of people from LDS, and uh, they're, they're the most normal people you'll ever meet, and some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Uh, preparedness just happens to be part of their culture. These folks, I cannot remember the name of the sect, but from what was described to me, uh, it seems like these are people that are living both, like almost like the Amish that have cell phones now, right? There's a sect of people that live in the Texas area that was all in the news with authorities trying to take their children away. They wear long dresses. They wear like pinks and blues and things like that. Um, and they're a Christian group. And uh, I guess some of them, you know, because the guy that lived here worked for Xerox. Apparently there were two families living here. That's why they had so much cultivation going on trying to feed two families. So there was, uh, I don't, and now I'm not even sure of this, right? So one of the neighbors tells me he thinks the one guy had two wives. The other neighbor says it was two families. So I, I don't know if maybe it was one guy and two women and one of the women was like taken in or something like, I don't know, but... On, you know, and, and basically the neighbors have described these folks as a little weird. So a prepper moving in, I am a step up away from weirdness, right? So these, these guys, right, I think will be okay with just about anything and everything that I want to do here because in comparison to who left, at least from, and I'm not putting these folks down that sold me this house, folks. I'm not, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I'm talking about perceptions of your neighbors, right? In that perception world, I'm a move up. You know, I got guns and gear and stuff like that, but most of these guys here are hunters and fishermen and things like that. So I feel like we're in a great place. I think we're going to be able to do a lot. And I mean a lot with it to help you guys learn and manage and grow your own places. And I think the three acre thing is a huge advantage over what I wanted. I wanted 10 plus acres. That's what I really wanted. Uh, I wanted 10 plus acres. I was, I was really looking for 20 if I could get it. I wanted to be further out, and that's why we looked a lot south of where my wife's family is instead of north, which is where we ended up. Because if you go south that way, you get into very rural very, very fast, right? And you don't have to go through the city to get to or the suburbs to get to down where they live. It just didn't work out that way. As I think about this now, though, and I look at this, and I go, this is a much more reasonable-sized property for the average person to be able to eventually afford. And a lot of what we'll do here, 
um, could easily be done on a single acre. And a lot of what we'll do zoned off, people will be able to come in and look at this place and go, well, I like that, I like that, I like that. They have these other ten things, but those three things fit right into a one acre or even a half acre design. And I know a lot of you guys want this kind of homesteading lifestyle as well. And I think it, you know, if I, if I had 20, even if I pushed it all on to three, you'd convince yourself, well, he's got 20 acres. That's what I need. With, with three acres, this is a very typical semi-rural sized plot of land. And there's a lot of land like this available. And for a lot of you guys that can work from home, as long as you can get good internet, When you when you kind of drop back from being very rural and being 20 acres or more to being uh, a little bit closer in and a little bit smaller piece of land, all of a sudden, you know, getting things like, you know, charter internet that the guy's installing right now for me. Uh, I mean, while I'm recording this, I, I can't even upload it yet until the guy, he, and he's working on the TVs. He's going to drill a hole in my wall here in a minute uh, if I don't finish up soon probably and install the, the, the modem and hook it up to my, my router and all. But uh, I think this is a lot more typical of what people are able to afford. Um, I don't like to talk about my personal finances a lot, um, but I think that it's important that people understand like the realm of what's possible for how much. So I've given you a pretty good description. Let me give you kind of the, the mile-high description of the property, and then I'm going to actually tell you uh, what we, we paid for the property. Uh, I think I've already actually done that in the past, but just to drive home how reasonable it is to do something like this. We have a five-bedroom house. It's 2,500 square feet. Uh, it, it needs a lot of interior work. The exterior is gorgeous. It's on a three-acre piece of land that's mostly flat with enough contour in the land to make moving water around possible. There is a garage, again, three bays plus a bay without a door, and uh, steel frame insulated. Uh, and I'd say that the, the joists is going across the top are about 12 feet. And the uh, the top of the garage is probably more like 16 feet, so it's like 16 foot ceilings. Um, Google Earth, I think, is lied to me because this is 1,800 square feet. When I do the outline on the uh, on the Google Earth uh, footage indicator, I would say it's more in the lines of about 1,200 square feet, 1,100 square feet. I have to measure it to be true, but it's it's big, big, big three bay garage, and we can take about half of it and make it into like, this game room, man cave, you know, shop area. Then in the back. There's another very large steel frame building uh, that I'm going to say is somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 by 20 or bigger, uh, also with very high ceilings and also insulated. And that gives me a tremendous amount of roof catchment to work with. And the buildings are on not the highest part of land, but kind of a little bit elevated where you do a lot of water catchment and move a lot of water uh, without having to use electricity. We can always make water go down for free. Um, they're also set up to where we could do things like maybe put in a, a little bit of a high water tower in one place and put something like a 500-gallon tank up on top of that tower to get greater pressure and put in a low-powered pump that would just keep that 500-gallon tank topped off and then let that add additional pressure. That would be easy to do. That's going to be rain catchment as part of my skills goals for 13 skills this year. Um, so that's possible to do here as well. Now... It's in a, I'll tell you, it's Tarrant County. So it's, it's northern Tarrant County. And that's, a, you know, not considered really, really rural where you're going to get really low price or anything. We paid 200000 for it. And I think that is for a lot of people, especially with mortgage rates where they are right now, if you can get uh, a mortgage, it's, it's very doable for most people that we call a middle income person. And I think it's just a matter of picking a place where it's possible. And that might require relocation to do that. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, I understand better than most the trials of that after doing this with my wife. But, you know, it's all about what do you want, what do they want, and, and what's most important to you. Um, I'll also say we got a ton of infrastructure here in, in that price point. Uh, in addition to the steel frame buildings, right, which is just awesome, there is about, an, I'd say it's probably like an eight maybe eight foot by 14 foot, uh, like one of those portable buildings that was made into like a goat barn. Uh, there's a couple paddocks uh, roped off over there in that one acre major paddock. Um, it's it's just a great place. And I look forward to having a lot of you guys out here with me and uh, spending some time and learning together uh, what we can really do with this. And it's kind of this world that exists between the urban world and the suburban world 
uh, that 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 world, and then the truly rural. It's in this belt, and I think that there's a lot of people. I read to you the piece by Marjorie Wildcraft uh, last time we spoke about how so many she's heard from so many people that have moved way way out, they end up moving back in, and I think it's a it's it's a good target for us as a community. Because it gives us enough space to be out of the ground zero if the world goes ape. But it also gives us the ability to get materials, to interact with other people, and to teach people. And I, I think that's the biggest thing I want you guys to take away from today's episode. That, And I'm going to have anybody that says, what happened? Because I've like had a million people. Why are you moving? I haven't been listening. Why are you moving back to Texas? What's going on? Have them listen to this episode. And specifically say, you know, if you want to, just fast forward to toward the end here. And... The reason we're doing this is because it's better. It's better for us as a family. It's better for me as a business person. This is a much more business-friendly state to be in, um, the state of Texas. It's better from an educational standpoint. We have land that we can use more school-like in our training. Um, and it gives us the opportunity to consolidate back into our home and our other place. I couldn't get good Internet. So I had an office. Now I was paying over almost $700 a month in lease to an office. When I take that lease cost and I roll that into my mortgage versus my mortgage up there, I end up right back at par. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of people have been asking me about, you know, should I buy a home, should I not buy a home? Should I buy a home, should I not, not buy a home? Let me put it to you this way. We bought a house in Pennsylvania in around 2001. We paid $130,000 for it. It was a beautiful home. We bought this house for $200. Our house payments between those two homes are almost the same as they were vice versa. And I'd say the, price, the taxes in, in Pennsylvania were actually a little bit lower. Yeah, lower, not higher. I know you think of Northeast, very high. But where we lived was a rural area. It was pretty low tax rate. And it was only against a $130,000 house. It was actually appraised by the tax office even lower than that. So we're actually paying more in taxes here, but less in the total payment. And the reason is simple. Interest rates when we moved to Pennsylvania were right around 6.5%. Interest rates now are below 4%. I think we got 3.7 or something like that. So this is a great time to buy. There's a lot of people that need to sell. Um, I've already talked about this, so I won't go into it much here at the end, but appraisers right now are being tough. They're being very, very tough on property, and when you make an offer and it's accepted and the appraisal comes back below the offer price, your initial response is, oh, oh crap. As a buyer, your response needs to be, yippee. Seriously, that's the best way I can put it, just yippee, yeehaw. Because all you have to do is just hold your ground and that seller is going to cave. Nine times out of ten. Nine times out of ten, that seller is going to cave because they don't have a better option. Now, you might say, well, before the seller was going to pay the closing cost, now the buyer is going to pay $2,000 in the closing, whatever. But you just drop the overall cost of the house, the payment, everything else. I think this is a great time to buy. I hope that seeing what we're doing and being flexible, I know some of you guys are actually a little bit irritated with me. Like, like, well, you, you moved there and now you're moving back here. And I was like, dude, I can't live my life for you. I can expose my life to you. I can tell you about what we're doing. I can tell you why, but I, I can't not move because you don't like it, you know? Um, but I know you guys feel like you kind of came along this ride with me. And a lot of you guys really helped me out by supporting the show, telling other people, help me building into something successful. And, uh, I think that it's going to be a great, new experience for all of us together I know I'm a little bit discombobulated today we'll get back with a more structured show tomorrow I just wanted to give you guys an update on everything that's happened tell you about some of the really exciting things uh, that are about to happen those of you that are in let's say the Eagle Mountain-ish Azel area or anywhere near there that would like to come out here and hang out with me Get in touch with me now. I want to meet as many people that are local to the area, that are members of the audience as possible. The place is a mess right now, but even by this weekend, I'll have people out for a beer or two if you want to just walk around and talk, get to know me. Just get in touch with me. Uh, email should be up by the end of the day. Uh, if you're hearing this, it's up. If it's Thursday when you're hearing this, the Internet wasn't on until tomorrow. Uh, but I think it will be up today. Anyway, with that, this has been Jack Spirigo broadcasting to you from North Texas once again with another episode of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. 
Yeah.